it's Joshua chapter 3. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wondrous wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, and the Amorites, the Amorites and the Jebusites. Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from the flowing from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off, and the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan.
Joshua chapter 4. When all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take twelve men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, Take twelve stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the twelve men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Pass on before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan, and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, that this may be a sign among you. When your children ask in time to come, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off from before cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And the people of Israel did just as Joshua commanded and took up twelve stones out of the midst of the Jordan, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel, just as the Lord had told Joshua. And they carried them over with them to the place where they lodged and laid them down there. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant had stood. And they are there to this day. For the priests bearing the Ark stood in the midst of the Jordan until everything was finished that the Lord commanded Joshua to tell the people, according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. The people passed over in haste. And when all the people had finished passing over, the ark of of the Lord and the priests passed over before the people. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the people of Israel, as Moses had told them. About 40,000 ready for war passed over before the Lord for battle to the plains of Jericho. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel, And they stood in awe of him, just as they had stood in awe of Moses all the days of his life. And the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests bearing the ark of the testimony to come up out of the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, Come up out of the Jordan. And when the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up on dry ground, The waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. The people came up out of the Jordan on the tenth day of the first month and they encamped at Gilgal on the east border of Jericho. And those twelve stones which they took out of the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. And he said to the people of Israel, When your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know... Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Hello. Um, It is good to see you all here. 
Um, and uh, as you may know, we've been starting this new series in Joshua. Um, so we're here in chapter 3. And I've, I've put these two chapters together this week. So it was a long reading. And thank you so much to Nina and Gemma for doing that. Um, and we'll, we'll be picking out some highlights from those, from those two chapters. Uh, but I want to ask you this question. What can you be certain of in your life? What can you guarantee for your future? What can you be certain of? It's a good question most of the time in our lives, isn't it? It's a pretty good question. But it's especially relevant this year as we come out of lockdown. I think one of the reasons I found this year so disconcerting is because it's demonstrated how little I can be certain of. Can I be certain of anything? What little I can know of what the future holds for me. And maybe you feel the same. I was just thinking, actually, my, my parents, for example, have not even met my two daughters. They haven't met them. And we, I was chatting to my mum just the other week. Uh, shall, shall we meet up? Shall we meet up? And she's like, ah, we just don't know. Because the restrictions are different in Wales or to England and all of that kind of stuff. What's going to happen? Um, this pandemic uncertainty has just writ large, I think, what we always experience all the time throughout our lives, which is uncertainty. Maybe you feel like that. Maybe you can think of things that made you feel uncertain about the future this week. Maybe it's job uncertainty. Maybe it's family uncertainty, your situations that you're going through. The family isn't here today who would be here because they're at a memorial today uh, for a close relative uh, following their untimely death. Our lives are uncertain, aren't they? Our future seems so uncertain. Even our today feels so uncertain. Well, uh, we're in church, so we might as well add to that question. <laughs> Where is God in the uncertainty of life? Where's he? Has he just removed himself from everything, that, you know, from our lives? Is that what he's done? He's started the whole thing off, set it running... And then, and then abandoned it. Where is the Lord? Where is God? Well, as a church, we've been walking through this book, which is one of many in the Bible. Uh, it's called Joshua. And the first thing Joshua has shown us about God is that God makes a promise. He makes a promise. It's a promise to all of humanity, and it concerns all that he will do and is doing both now and in the future. It's a big promise. And this book is showing us how he keeps that promise. You'd think that if God is the promise maker, that that would be enough for the people in this book and for us. After all, he's, he's, he's God. You know, you'd think that would be enough. Um, but actually, the people we find in this book are just like us. They doubt whether God can do what he says he's going to do, whether he will do what he says he's going to do. And so what we see is that not that God needs to do this, but actually he graciously shows them how they and we can trust what he says. And last week we saw this report, didn't we, from, it's a blinding report from Rahab. And it came out of nowhere for the people. They had one idea of how they were going to gain confidence in God's promise. And God just provided this amazing word. 
And it left the, the spies in verse 24 of chapter 2 saying, Truly the Lord has given all the land into our hands. Sounds pretty confident, pretty certain, doesn't it? And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. We can see in verse 1 that Joshua is given confidence because he rises early and he sets the people out to the side of the Jordan River. They set out and they reach the, the side of the Jordan. It's here that the Lord is going to confirm to them yet again that they can have confidence in what he says because he is with them. The Lord is with them and that's the first thing he's going to prove to them. Let's have a look at this. The Lord is with them. Look down to me at verse 11. Sorry, verse 10. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you. And then look down towards uh, verse 11. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. As Joshua tells the people what is going to happen and why, he says, well, what what are you going to know from from what's going to happen? That the living God is among you. And how are you going to know it? The Ark of the Covenant is going to pass over before you into the Jordan. So that's the big thing. This is how you know that the Lord your God is among you. But actually, let's read the whole of verse uh, verse 10, because you see I missed out the middle bit. Let me read it again. And Joshua said, here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites and all the other rites. Okay. So the point is, the knowing that God is with them is actually future looking or forward facing. It's so that they will know that he will be with them when they face the enemies in the land. You get that? Actually, we do this kind of thing all the time. So um, this is Eddie on his way to school this week. Uh, He's pushing his bike the whole way. That's a bit odd in itself because he said, I want to take my bike to school and ended up pushing it the whole way to to nursery. Um, But the reason I've got a picture of Eddie here is to say, to prove to you that we do this kind of thing, where we we say to Eddie when we drop him off at school, because I'm with you now, Eddie... I'll be with you when you come out of school. Yeah? So this is what God's doing. He's saying, because I'm with you now, you can see that I'm with you in the midst of the Jordan. I'm going to prove that to you. I'm with you. That's for for later, (laughs) when you enter the land. And that's just the same thing with Eddie. We say, you know I'm going to be there because I'm with you now. And actually... Because I've got a good wife who reminds me to pick Eddie up, I'm always there to pick him up, okay? But as I'm not the Lord, you know, there there might be something that goes wrong. Um, I might be a few minutes late. Actually, we get charged like £10 every minute we're late or something, so we're we're definitely not late. Um, But there's another reasoning, isn't there? And it's this, that if the Lord is able to hold back these mighty waters... Because it's flooded the banks. This is the, have you been to the Jordan? Yeah. You have? Once. Was it, was it this season or was it? No. But was it harvest time? Yeah. Do you know the time of year you were there? No, I don't have harvest time. Okay, because this says... Okay. Presumably there's bits of the Jordan that you can't get to at this time of year because it, it is flooded all the banks. 
and it's much wider. It's a mile wide, okay, at this point. Um, There's another reasoning, isn't there? Because if God is able to hold back these mighty waters, then surely he is able to... uh, to hold, but he is to overpower anyone that stands in the way of them receiving the land. If he's able to get them in, then he's able to to keep them there and to make sure that nothing comes in that in the way of that. So that's what's going on. It's the the pr- God proving to them for what's going to come after they've entered the land. The Lord is with them, and therefore He will be with them. certainty and that's the point isn't it that is made by this frustratingly constant update on the position of the priests carrying the ark i don't know if you felt that as we were reading it it's sort of probably the priests and their feet for example are mentioned way more than you would like them to be okay it's sort of like i'm sure we've heard the priests carrying the ark of the covenant of the lord of all the earth like ten times already. What's why? Why keep mentioning it, and why keep telling us moment by moment where the position of the ark of the covenant of the Lord is that the priests are carrying, and where their feet are, and the position you know position they're in. Well, it's making exactly the same point. God is with them, because it's not some suitcase that the priests are lugging about. We're giving it. We're given its description, and it's the ark of the covenant of the Lord. It's not filled with clothes, but a proof of his covenant relationship with them. The tablets of stone that he gave to Moses on Mount Sinai. Proof of his covenant relationship with his people. The relationship he saved them from Egypt for. The Lord is with them. And that's the visual feature that shows us that in this passage. And, and, and you would have heard it again and again and again. The Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. Here's where the ark is. Here's where the ark is. Did you notice where the ark is? Okay, it's here. It's here. Now it's here. And actually it stops at the end of chapter 3. It doesn't move between there and verse 11 of chapter 4. And we'll see why in just a moment. The Lord is with them. And the Lord, just as the Lord was with Moses, the Lord is with Joshua. We got that as well, didn't we? Um, So it says... Uh, In verse 7, today I will begin to exalt you, Joshua, in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You know, the people, this is a new generation. Kenny mentioned the Red Sea crossing. They weren't there for that. Joshua is the only one who was there for that. And they could be thinking, well, Moses, he was, God was definitely with him. Like there's miraculous signs and wonders and, and loads of stuff that showed us that God was with Moses. What about this guy, Joshua? And the Lord answers those doubts and puts them to rest, doesn't he? Because he makes this repeat performance unmissable. If you think about like, the similarities between these two events, Red Sea, River Jordan, it's unmissable. It's a repeat performance, isn't it? And they can see that just as God was with Moses, so he is with Joshua. And he is therefore with us. But this isn't an exact repeat. There are some important differences between the two crossings, and I've just mentioned the change in leadership. But are are there any other differences? Well, let me put the two photos up. This is previously, the, the crossing of the Red Sea. You can see the people heading this way, away from Egypt. And that's a big 
pillar of cloud and fire, okay? The visible sign of God, the Lord. Well, there isn't in Joshua 3 a whole host of Egyptian chariots bearing down their necks. That's one big difference, isn't it? And this is the reason behind the other big difference, which is uh, when they crossed the Red Sea, where was the Lord? Behind them. Yeah? Why was he behind them? Well, it was because he wanted to put himself between them and their pursuers. The buffer, the, the protection they needed from their enemies. And this visible sign, this pillar of cloud and fire in the sky, to assure them of that. And later he throws the Egyptian chariots who were behind into confusion and throws them to their downfall. But this time, the Lord is out in front. He goes before them. That's our second point. The Lord goes before them. This is the case from the word go, isn't it? So in verse 3, if you want to look at that, uh, the officers say to the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant, the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, there it is again, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. So it's different now. The Lord is going before them. We've seen that this truth, that God is with them, is forward-looking. And remember, this truth that God is with them is what they are to recall as they later enter into battles. And so God going before them is proof that he is going to be the one who is going to be fighting off the enemies and and making it the victory, giving them the victory. He's in front, he's before them. Uh, So the command in that verse, just after the one we read, is stand back. (laughs) Even 2,000 cubits, I don't know what your Bible says, a cubit was about 45 centimetres. So this, I think, is about two kilometres. Even though the people are vast in number, all of them will be able to see from that distance two things. They will be able to see where the ark is, the position of it, because if you think... if have you ever tried to be in a crowd where you're trying to look at the same thing and there's ten people in front of you, you can't see it? Whereas if, if you're all in the line, you can all see two, two, two kilometres away. So they could, also, they could see where the ark is and they could follow it, but they could also see the waters stacking up, which was a couple of kilometres away in Adam, in a city, just up a town up the road. So they could t- see those two things from a distance. And they were all pass by because the ark because the ark stops in the midst of the Jordan so it's a classic lollipop lady manoeuvre okay you, we can all get this has anyone been over a, a lollipop crossing do you have one outside your school no oh is it a man no oh disappointment what about yours okay I need to update my illustrations <laughs> if you can think of another illustration then come back to me but lollipop manoeuvre right what happens the lollipop person goes out, steps out into the path of danger in the road. They stand with their back to the danger in the road. The people cross and they cross in front of them. And they can see the person who's standing there as they cross in front of them and they go to the other side. And only when they're up at the other side does the person say, OK, I might wait a few minutes just to be annoying. <laughs> but actually I'm going you know, to go. Not too long. Um, it's classic lollipop lady manoeuvre 
Um, that's exactly the, process, the, the positioning of the people in relation to the Ark of the Covenant. And that means there's maximum visibility on the Ark of the Covenant at all times. And there will be no doubt in their minds that the only thing that's holding back those waters is the presence of the Ark of the Covenant in the waters. Because they're all going to see it and they're all going to walk past it. As they pass and see up close, nothing but the Lord God powerfully holding back the waters, there will be no doubt he is with them. Just as he was with Moses, so he is with them. He goes before them, and so when he gets into the land, when they get into the land, he will be before, uh, in front of them in the battle in order to secure for them and so that they might receive the land that he has promised them. It's not just for now. It's not the confidence is not for now. The confidence is for, for that day, which is to come. So what's this got to do with us? Well, you're probably wondering what's this got to do with Jesus as well. Because we sang, didn't we, from Genesis to Revelation, it's one story of his greatest salvation. It's all about Jesus. There's plenty of parallels between Jesus' earthly life and Israel's exodus journey. Jesus is called out of Egypt, as they were called out of slavery. He passes through the waters of the Jordan River, even, in his baptism with John. He enters the wilderness as they were in the desert, uh, where he too is tempted, uh, tempted as they were, and he, yet yeah, he proves faithful. And the second of Jesus' baptisms, baptisms is the cross. The first baptism was the water. The second baptism is the cross. That's how Jesus refers to it. It's his death. And so you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord passing through the waters and Jesus' body was placed in the tomb and came out the other side. It, he emerged out of the grave. And that's the way in which the people today, us, receive our salvation. There's only one way, but that's exactly what we're going to see in this passage. He emerges from the place of death, which is the bottom of this, <laughs> the, the river, isn't it? That's the place of death. And he shows himself to be the only way to the future inheritance of eternal life. And so it's no wonder that we find Paul, uh, if you want to flick with me, uh, to Romans 8 and verse 32. Romans 8, verse 32. Keep your finger in, Joshua, because we will go back. It's no wonder that we find Paul using the same reasoning in this passage as he talks about the future hope in relation to Jesus' death. Remember we said that the reason they have a future certainty that God will clear out the land is because he is with them here in the, in the Jordan. And Paul does the same reasoning in Romans 8 verse 32 about the cross. He says this, He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And it goes on to that passage about no condemnation. Who shall, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? 
It's the same reasoning. If Jesus was in the grave and was with us in death and in the place of death, then we can have certainty that he will bring us into eternal life in the land. It's the same journey. It's the same trust. It's the same Lord God. And it's the same confidence that we need. And it's the only guarantee. The death and resurrection of Jesus is the guarantee that God will bring his people to eternal life. It proves Jesus has the final victory over evil in this world. The resurrection proves that, that Jesus has the final victory over evil. For those who receive his salvation, it is a wonderful assurance of what's to come. For those who do not receive it, it speaks of his victory over them and the hopelessness of hell. That's the clear message in the last part of our passage, so let's just flick back to to Joshua chapter 4. And verse 1. Just before chapter 4, verse 1, there's verse 17. Let me read that. Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord God stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. If you look at verse 10 of chapter 4, it says pretty much the same thing. The only difference is, it says, until everything was finished that the Lord had commanded. The priests and the Ark of the Covenant haven't budged. They haven't moved an inch between verse 17 of chapter 3 and verse 10 of chapter 4. So for all of the kind of movement in this passage, suddenly there's this big stop. And for nine verses, we're told about something that happened while they were standing in the midst of the Jordan. What is that one thing? Well, it's our, our final point. All peoples of the earth will know. And we see that from the stones. Twelve stones. That's what, the, what they're told to collect. And they're told to collect it from the position, from, the, from where the priest's feet are touching the bed of the river collect these stones 12 stones one for each tribe of uh, of israel and take them and we're going to make we're going to position them on the shore in the promised land why are they doing that and why is it here seems quite odd but we get the explanation don't we in verse 6 joshua says When your children ask in a time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Joshua repeats this again in verse 21. You probably heard it as we read it. It says, and he said to the people of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in times to come, what do these stones mean? Then you shall let your children know Israel passed over this Jordan on dry ground. So that's the that's what's going on here. Is the stones uh, are not just? I said that this whole event was future looking, so that they would have confidence when they're in the land that the Lord will win the victory. But it's even more future looking because it's going to be for future generations. 
and all peoples to know. That's what we see here. So when the children ask, what are these stones and why are they here? They can say, this is what the Lord has done. This is the mighty works of the Lord. Let me tell you what he did that day. And you see from what Joshua says right at the very end of our chapter 4. Just read verses 23 and 24. For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan for you until you passed over as the Lord your God did to the Red Sea, which he dried up for us until we passed over. Verse 24. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Two things. So that all peoples of the earth will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. All peoples will know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. And secondly, that you, Israel, God's people, may fear the Lord forever. That's why he's doing this. It's future looking, not just for the people, for their confidence that God will give them the land, but for future generations, for us, sitting here today. So that people of Dagenham, so that people in 21st century uh, London would know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. Through this mighty work of the Jordan crossing, the preview and the preview, uh, sorry, through this mighty work of the Jordan crossing, which is the preview of Jesus' death and resurrection, all peoples of the earth will know the mighty hand of the Lord. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, all people embarking in Dagenham may know that the Lord is mighty. Only he can do such amazing things. Only he can do these things. And this is true whether we are someone who is brought to fear the Lord through it, or whether we face his judgment. So that is true, isn't it? That statement of knowing the mighty hand of the Lord is true of people who then fear him, and those people who... Don't do anything about it. It's true of everyone. We started off thinking about uncertainty, didn't we? What can you be certain of in life? The uncertainty we feel about our lives and that in relation to God. But we've seen, haven't we, that God is not at arm's length. He has come to be with us here. He is with the people that's what he wanted them to see. And he will be with them. For, like, which means that they can know that he will be with them when he returns. And in the, in the life to come. And the promise that he has given them in the future. And he's gone before them so that we would know the way to go. Jesus is that way. And here his mighty works are for all to see, giving us an assurance of what's to come. If we follow Jesus, we will know God's presence and the assurance that he will lead us to eternal life. So lastly, I'm just going to read John 14. Verse 5. Thomas, one of Jesus' disciples, said to Jesus, Lord, we don't know where you are going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. We've been seeing that the only certainty really in this life, in your life, in my life, is the certainty that God gives us of who he is, what he is doing, and what he will do, and what we can know for sure he will do. And the death and the resurrection of Jesus proves to us that the Lord's hand is mighty. It's mighty to save, and it's mighty to bring judgment. And that's exactly what we've been seeing in this chapter. And if you're hearing this for the first or maybe the 50th time, Jesus is our only hope. There's only one way through the Jordan, isn't there? There's only one way into the promised inheritance to be with God forever, and that's Jesus. Follow the Lord. Fear him. I mean, you hear of his mighty works and you think the right response is actually to fear him. Because as Kenny was saying earlier on, this is, you're not going to see this and think, yawn, that's a bit boring. You know, what's on TV? No, fear him. He's that powerful to do that. And he's got power to bring down his enemies. All of those people in the land are going to face his judgment. And that should cause us to a right fear of him. But we might need to ask him, we do need to ask him to give us a right fear of him. So that we might also receive his mercy. Because the fear of him leads to his mercy. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you make your word so clear that it's for all the peoples of the earth to know your mighty hand. These work, these, uh, this account of the crossing of the Jordan may seem lengthy, maybe hard to grapple with, but thank you that you have shown us that um, it's for us to know that your hand is mighty, both mighty in salvation and mighty in judgment. And that we would know that not just now, but have, that would give us the confidence to see that that will be the case when Jesus returns. Because of his death and resurrection, because of that mighty work of salvation, he is the one who will return. We pray that we would fear you rightly. Uh, we pray that you would show us what that means for our lives. Would you help us to see that you are Lord God and that we um, are perhaps not right with you and need to know uh, your forgiveness. Would that fear, that right fear, drive us to you? Would it drive us to our knees uh, to seek the salvation that only you offer? We, we pray that this would give us a real confidence and a certainty in our lives. The one guarantee we have is what you have done and what you will do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.